From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox president Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF. Welcome to another exciting episode of the Vanguards of Healthcare podcast series. My name is Matt Henriksen, and I am the MedTech Analyst at Bloomberg Intelligence, the in-house equity research platform of Bloomberg. We are pleased to have with us today, Hani Abuhaka, Company Group Chairman of Robotics and Digital from Johnson & Johnson MedTech, which is developing multiple robotic technologies for a broad range of surgical procedures. You can dive deeper into the financials by typing in JNJ Equity Go on your Bloomberg terminal. Ani, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Matt. It's my pleasure to be here. And Ani, you know, one of the things I've noticed was that um, in my kind of reading beforehand was that you've been at J&J for over 20 years now. And that was, you know, before the start of their robotics program. Um, why don't you just kind of give us a quick dive into kind of the path that took you to the robotics from your start at J&J? Well, thank you, Matt, for that question. I feel incredibly lucky to have had this opportunity to work for J&J for this long. It started from really early days. I grew up in a place where uh, healthcare was such an incredible thing. It's very, it was very magical. And I wanted to be a doctor at the beginning. Uh, long story, I disappointed my mom, didn't be a doctor. And I ended up joining uh, J&J 23 years ago. And over that period, uh, I was very fortunate to have worked in multiple uh, of our businesses, all our businesses within J&J MedTech in different geographies across the world. And what stuck with me over that period is, is how some of the universal things we need to solve for are true everywhere. And being on this journey, uh, I learned a lot, but at the same time, I saw firsthand the importance of our work and more importantly, the incredible work that surgeon nurses and their teams do for patients every day throughout the world. One of the newer programs for J&J is their robotics program. Um, and with you as kind of the head of this, this program, you have the benefit of kind of having a wide range view of the robotic landscape across all major segments. And so maybe we can start with, you know, your view of the market and how the technology has been developing, um, how it's been developing similarly or differently between kind of each of these different segments or um, procedures? Yeah, great question, Matt. I mean, uh, we pride ourselves at, uh, at J&J MedTech, we know surgery. Uh, we've been at it for a long time from our founding. We started with sterile sutures and gauze, and we've been part of the journey of transforming healthcare and surgery throughout the last 135 years. Uh, the last 20 years or so, uh, I, I have to recognize great progress in terms of robotic surgery and the impact it had 
uh, on patients and uh, and outcomes uh, for them. Uh, but at the same time, we've heard from surgeons uh, that we're still uh, early innings in terms of where we are and where we need to go. Uh, I, I do think if you look at the numbers per se, uh, after all this journey, after all the improvements, we're still at only 5% robotic penetration uh, across the world. Uh, I think knowing the, the promise of what robotic surgery can bring, I think it's important for us to be part of that journey. Uh, the market is asking for more players in the space to help move robotic surgery forward. And I'm very excited about what we can bring and what our robotic programs can contribute in, in this journey. All right, so let's let's start with the robotic system that you currently have in the market, which is the Monarch robotic system for bronchoscopy. Yeah, I mean, uh, Matt, we're very, very excited about Monarch. Uh, our vision and ambition there, uh, we're the first and only multi-specialty flexible robotic endoscopy platform. Uh, we're currently in, as you mentioned, in bronchoscopy in the US. Uh, we've done more than 35,000 procedures. If you talk to any physician or patient whose life has been impacted and touched by this technology, uh, I can tell you it's very, very inspiring. Uh, and we're very excited about the promise in bronchoscopy, but also we're also excited about what's coming next uh, from a global perspective and scaling this bronchoscopy indication, but also uh, going to urology and having an impact uh, for kidney stone uh, and patients that suffer from kidney stones. All right, and then, you know, what, what, what is some of the clinical data to support the value of a, uh, a flexible robotic system to help with um, diagnosing um, lung cancer? Yeah, I mean, uh, innovative, inconclusive diagnosis of lung nodules means patients must wait for confirmation of potential lung cancer. Uh, what we've seen so far is with Monarch bronchoscopy, physicians have demonstrated a 15% improvement in overall diagnostic yield compared to the additional uh, bronchoscopy. Uh, I think that's very meaningful for patients and clearly for their for the surgical teams. Uh, I think this issue of later diagnosis uh, in general, it reduces the survival rate for lung cancer and anything we can do uh, through Monarch or others that can help accelerate the detection of lung cancers and having a treatment plan is very, very meaningful for, for patients, uh, Matt. And I think that's what inspires the team and uh, keeps us doing what we're doing. Now, does that does that mean that you we could um, theoretically, theoretically be able to find lung cancer in these patients sooner so it could be treated sooner before it gets to a stage three or a stage four cancer state? I mean, if you look at the uh, our experience from the clinical data we've had so far uh, from the real-world evidence, uh, we're hoping that we'll be able to get diagnostic at an earlier uh, stage of the cancer, which allows and gives the surgeons and their teams uh, time to hopefully have uh, different treatment plans. Uh, that's a promise, and that's what we're working with physicians to go after. I've also read that J&J received um, approval for Monarch to be used for um, the therapeutic side, um, delivering the drugs to the lungs. Um, how does that, that work? with the patients compared to kind of the traditional way of treating the patients? Yeah, I mean, right now, uh, Monarch is a diagnostic platform, uh, which again, I mentioned, it's, it's very meaningful as it stands today, but what's exciting about the future and what's coming, first, there's something very unique about J&J. And if you, if you know us a bit more, we have, as you know, two sectors right now, 
a J&J innovative medicine that does a lot of incredible drugs. And we have the J&J MedTech side. And we have a group uh, looking at interventional oncology by trying to bring the best of both to really make a significant impact for patients. And in that space, what's exciting, uh, to answer your question, uh, we're looking at a couple ideas in terms of potential for treatment. And we are in clinical studies, as you mentioned, uh, one in ablation and using ablation as a treatment through Monarch as a platform for getting to that uh, to that uh, area. And two, knowing some of our experience on drugs, we're also looking at using some of the drugs for local delivery of uh, some of these drugs for treatment. Uh, if you if you fast forward what's ahead, the, that promise itself is very, very powerful for any patient who's suffering from lung cancer. Yeah, I would have to assume that that could build momentum in adoption of the technology if you're able to provide both the diagnostics and the therapeutic side. No doubt. This is clearly an unmet need. Uh, we need to make sure we work through the clinical and regulatory pathway to get there. Uh, but it's worth the journey because uh, the promise of what it can do uh, for patients uh, here and globally is is very, very powerful. Yeah. And then would this differentiate yourself from the other flexible bronze Kasabi um, technology that's in the market currently? I mean, first and foremost, any player who's in the space that can help advance uh, diagnosis and in the future treatment is, is incredibly powerful. What excites us about our own program is the fact is, as I mentioned, we're truly uh, unique in a way where it's multi-specialty. We're in Bronx today mm-hmm. and in the future uh, urology, but also the position of J&J is quite unique, which allows us to get our strength from our pharmaceutical business and our medtech business to really make uh, a transformative change in the way this disease is treated uh, in the future. Yeah, and we'll, we'll kind of jump into a little bit more in the, uro, the urology indication. Um, but just with the, the current launch of Monarch, um, how is that initial market penetration going? I mean, what, what's been incredibly uh, exciting is uh, the response we're getting from physicians that use the technology. Uh, you talk to them, they tell you this technology allows them to, do, to really uh, treat their patients with a different approach, whether you talk to pulmonologists or other surgeons. Uh, in terms of the response, as I said, we're very excited. Uh, we've already completed more than 35,000 procedures uh, s- since we launched. Uh, that's exciting. We recently had also great news around uh, approval to enter the Chinese market. As you know, lung cancer uh, is a huge burden uh, for Chinese patients. And uh, we're working with the teams to, to prepare for the launch there. I think that will also be very exciting for addressing a big unmet need, uh, but also for the platform. Mm-hmm. And then going to the uro- urology indication, um, that is something you've also received FDA approval for, correct? Correct. Okay. And th- so ha- maybe we can dive a little bit more into the details of what that new indication um, entails and kind of how that kind of maybe compares to other technologies out there. I'm thinking of, you know, Intuitive has a robotic uh, option and Procept does as well. Is there kind of, is it different indications or is it something where you're entering in a field um, with them as well? Uh, I mean, Matt, uh, in everything we do, we're always grounded in trying to address big unmet need. 
Mm-hmm. And what uh, the more I got to know about the space, uh, I was I was taken by how many friends and family and people who have been suffering from a specific issue with neurology, which is kidney stones. Uh, I think in the U.S. alone, the number is around 800,000 patients. The indication in the urology space that we're going after is specifically to do treatment of kidney stones. Today, the current standard is uh, either you have something that's very invasive, uh, that have a huge burden on the patient, that might uh, get you to stone-free, but not always. Or on the other side, you have something less invasive, but it doesn't really solve the problem from getting to a place where it's uh, kidney stone-free. What we believe Monarch in Urology will do is provide this uh, need where it's 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 quite minimally invasive. Uh, the procedure uh, will be done in a way where it's a low burden on the patient, but also on on the on the teams delivering it. But more importantly, we we feel very excited about the early results around the outcomes, and that's what we're currently uh, doing uh, through our clinical studies, and we'll continue to do so. Uh, and that is very exciting, first and foremost for patients, but also for the platform and the potential impact it has uh, in the future. Okay, and then so what, what are the kind of the next steps in the twelve eighteen months um, for Monarch? You know, as you kind of set your the goals for twenty twenty four. What 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 are you looking to achieve? Whether it's clinical data um, generation uh, or continuous kind of. Uh, penetration to hospitals, a combination of the two, something else. What, how do you see the next 12, 18 yeah, months? I, I mean, top level, there are a few things. One is to continue the journey of innovation. We're on in bronchoscopy uh, to, to support and continue advancing what we're doing in a market like the U.S. That's important to us. Second is make sure we start the global scaling of the platform in bronchoscopy. And I mentioned our approval, and we're working towards a launch uh, in China, uh, preparing uh, the urology work for U.S. launch is something that we're very excited about, again, for the impact it has. Uh, that's something we're working on. And uh, for the future, uh, I believe knowing the promise of being the first and only multi-specialty flexible robotic platform excites us and will continue uh uh, working with incredibly talented team uh, to make sure we advance that and um, do whatever we can to make a difference for patients in the U.S. and outside. Moving on to some of the new developments that's happening at J&J MedTech, um, there have been some recent announcements related to the uh, Otava robotic system. Uh, w- what are some of those key updates that have taken place recently? Yeah, last week was very, very exciting for Otava and for J&J MedTech. Uh, we shared the news, the exciting news that we're planning to submit uh, IDE uh, to the FDA in the second half of 2024. Uh, this is a big milestone for the program, and uh, it, it's, it's another uh, uh, measure of how confident we are of how we are in the program and what's coming next. And for the listeners that are new to the Otava system. Um, what, what features does that system have that maybe differentiates it from some of the other offerings in the market? Uh, Matt, we believe that we have a one-of-a-kind architecture. Uh, one feature we spoke about is around our unified architecture. And what's exciting about that, it, it allows our four robotic arms to be incorporated in the surgical table. So they're there and when you need them 
and they're stored when you don't, which allows us to have this invisible design, giving back room and space uh, to the teams and to the operating room. Okay, and that's actually that, that sounds interesting because it's not these these arms aren't then a independent console that's rolled around. It's it's attached and then just folds away. So does that mean then that you could have a procedure done that you just need one arm and then the rest just get are hidden under the bed? Like I mean, it's like a single arm procedure. Yeah, I mean you're right. The design doesn't need yeah. the design doesn't need booms or carts. Uh, it's the same. Uh, surgical bed that you know the robotic arms are incorporated mm -hmm. and this design mat allows really for more collaboration and it allows also to uh, there's more freedom and flexibility to adapt during the procedure uh, and we, we we're very excited about this because it's it's very unique and it's one one of a kind architecture right, interesting and then um, what are some of the other features there uh, with regards to the system Another feature we're very, very excited about is something we call a twin motion. And what twin motion is, it allows a unified movement of the table uh, and the robotic arms, which allows the surgeon to do a movement, to move some organs during the procedure without interrupting the procedure. And, and that's very powerful for workflow, very powerful for teams uh, and the surgeon. And we don't have to do uh, physical interruption of the procedure it's all enabled by the unified uh, movement of the table and the arms. Honey, maybe just we can dive a little deeper into twin motion. You talked about how it, it helps um, when doctors need to move or rotate um, the patient itself or organs within the patient. But maybe just for, well, even for myself as a, you know, as a non-doctor in the med tech world, um, can you dive a little deeper into what that means and why that is so important for surgery? Yes, I mean, Matt, um, when I witnessed surgery, uh, we've seen surgeons move the surgical bed to use gravity to really shift organs to gain better access to critical structures. This is part of what surgeons do regularly in a lot of procedures. For most robotic systems today, moving the surgical bed includes a lot of complex set of actions. Uh, and to give you an idea, if you look at standard operating procedures today, first, you need to stop the procedure. You need to detach some of the instruments, undock the arms, move the table and the patient, and then redock and reattach and restart surgery. And Matt, this all happens with the patient under anesthesia. Twin motion, uh, because uh, of the coordinated movement between the table and the arm, and it's not a coordinated movement, it's a natural uh, movement, it allows the surgeon to do that without doing any of the steps I mentioned. Uh, this is incredibly powerful for the surgeon, for the workflow. Um, and I think what, what allows this is, again, I go back to the, the fact that the Otava arms are incorporated in the table. And that's why twin motion happens naturally. Trying to figure it out in layman terms for myself here. The twin motion really means the bed moves, the arms move with it. Right? Naturally. Yeah, naturally. There we go. All right. And, um, and, and without any additional steps or additional software or, I mean, it's it's native, uh, maybe the word to use. And mm -hmm. again, it improves the access, as I said, and and, and it improves also procedure efficiency. Okay. Uh, I mean, that's uh, yeah, that sounds like something that um, 
is that something that you've got surgeon feedback on with kind of his uh, previous generations out there and you've been able to develop it um, to be able to yeah. help them with that? We've had many surgeon uh, come here and do many procedures preclinically on the on the on the on the on the top of uh, robot, and uh, this is something we've heard loud and clear that it's meaningful. It helps them in the way they do robotic surgery, uh, and it, uh, it it makes the procedure flows better. But also, we believe there is uh, incredible impact uh, on the procedure. Okay, and then you. I mean, J&J also has the uh, Ethicon brand, which is, uh, you know, the, the end effectors, the staplers, um, all those surgical tools. How, how do you plan to incorporate that to create one ecosystem with the robotic system? Matt, as I mentioned earlier, uh, we were born in surgery patient first. Uh, we're incredibly excited about the fact that we're going to have uh, Ethicon instruments only on Otava. Uh, we have decades of experience uh, surgeons trust us uh, with our instruments, the performance. Uh, uh, this is very important for, uh, for for surgeons because they know that the instruments are a big part of what they do in terms of determining the outcome of a procedure. Uh, we're excited that we'll be able to, to design ethical instruments for the uh, for our robotic program. And I think it's going to be something that surgeons are going to be very excited about, uh, hopefully as much as we are, if not more. Now- this is kind of, you know, we've talked about the, the differentiated features kind of in this manner and how it's connected with Ethicon. I think this kind of circles back to something I read in the press release where it mentioned that the majority of operating rooms are not built with a robot in mind. Um, is that kind of, is this kind of the, the, the crux of the, the development of the Otava robotic system? Uh, thank you, Matt. I mean, the reality is that many ORs are crowded with people and technology, and mm. uh, other systems require really uh, hospitals to fit a robotic surgery system, whether it's boom, whether it's cart, uh, and and that requires hospitals to sometimes, uh, a lot of times, to allocate specific ORs to become robotic ORs. We believe that uh, our unified architecture remove the need for these additional uh, booms or carts in the OR. And it, it does something that's very, very meaningful, which is it frees up space that allows for seamless movement, better movement, and most importantly, collaboration. Uh, we believe this, uh, this also allows us to remove friction and let surgeons and their teams focus on what matters most, which is their patients. Okay, and then let, let's let's um, turn our attention to kind of the, the 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 actual pipeline. You mentioned the IDE application to initiate the trial by the second half of twenty twenty four, and I'm just think, I'm looking at you know it's November of twenty twenty three, so w- what steps need to be completed between now and nine to twelve months from now um, when you um, submit the IDE. I mean, I have to start by saying we're very excited about our progress. Uh, we're very confident in the timeline, and we will continue to advance the program to deliver on the IDE. It's very important for us, but it's also very important uh, for the market to have J&J be here and to bring another robotic options uh, for, for surgeons and for patients to choose from. So uh, we're confident and we're excited. 
Okay. And then um, once this IDE is approved and you get started, what are the first indications you're looking to uh, the, to trial with um, with the Otava? I mean, at this moment, we're not uh, uh, specifying where okay. we're going. We have a plan uh, that we've aligned internally, and also we're talking uh, about how we're going to bring this to action. We're very confident of this plan, but at this moment, we're not declaring where we're going first from an indication okay. perspective. Okay. Um, but, but I just have to, rem- to remind you that our architecture allows us to use this uh, robot in a broad spectrum of procedures. I think that's important uh, to, to remember. And as I said, we have a very clear plan of where we're starting and where we're going to go. But at this moment, we're not sharing more. Okay. No, that understand that. Uh, and so then when we think about what the potential is for Otava and, you know, we were thinking of a smaller you know, footprint within the operating room, how many surgical procedures do you think could qualify for robotics? Um, and, you know, you, you talk about a broad spectrum, but are there any kind of key or any specific procedures that don't fit well into the robotics platform currently because of the space and the the, the larger footprint that some of these other competitors have? Yeah. I mean, J&J MedTech and Ethicon is uniquely positioned here, Matt, because we know all surgery. Mm-hmm. So... We know our history in open and lab. Uh, we have uh, specific plans for robotics. And we believe Otava could address 40 million procedures globally. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, today the robotic penetration is only 5%. And we believe uh, with with our robot, with our program, and with our plans, uh, that number would be higher with improved access uh, and, and improved visualization of robotic in general. Okay. All right. And so, you know, we have, we have this timeline for the, the IDE to start. Um, and so, you know, we're, we're, we're in the right progression. Um, from your seat as kind of this, the, the chairman, the group chairman for the robotics and the digital, um, sometimes you got to put on your, your, your little green finance cap and you got to make decisions on how to ca- allocate capital to each of these programs. Um, how do you prioritize that? Um, and is it important to kind of expand the breadth of your robotic portfolio or to dive deeper into specific programs? Uh, Matt, I can get into the details of, uh, capital allocation, but mm-hmm. I can say the following, uh, our priority in J&J is patient and I'll always be patient. Uh, you know, when I joined, uh, I joined because of our J&J uh, we believe in our credo, and every day since, uh, that belief has only grown stronger. And it talks about our commitment. It talks about our commitment to patients, uh, surgeons, nurses, the people who use our product. It talks about our uh, commitment to our employees, the communities we work in. And I, I cannot tell you how strongly I believe when you see these technologies in action, uh, it addresses such a big unmet need. And we need to do our best. And that's why we have some of the best people working on this uh, to make sure that we bring uh, Otava to the market and give it the role it can to change uh, and be part of what's next in surgery, to scale Monarch as we spoke and the role it can play in diagnostics, but in the future also uh, treatment. Uh, these things what excite us because when we think patients first, uh, that's 
who we are and that's what we believe and that's what we'll continue to do. All right. And then so you, you're, you're continuing to invest, you're continuing to develop. Uh, maybe we'll just, you know, we'll, we'll spend the last few minutes here seeing, you know, wh- how, how do you see robotics being a role five to 10 years out from now? I mean, is this something where we're thinking of standard of care? Is it kind of ways to go there? Is it coming in between? Um, you know, and what, what, what's, how, how do you see the development of, in your programs to be able to get there? Yeah, I mean, uh, before I specifically talk about robotics, I want to reiterate that n- because of who we are, we will continue innovating and investing for all types of surgery. Mm-hmm. I think that's very important because we need to do what's best for patients. And if it's open, if it's lab, it's robotic, we will be there uh, by the side of surgeons to do what's best for patients. Robotics specifically is very, very exciting because, as I said, we're in early innings of this. Uh, one thing that will be clear, I think it'll be significant growth in, uh, in adoption and utilization. Uh, I think there'll be more adoption across broad spectrum of more procedures. I think there'll be, as you mentioned and alluded to, there'll be more competition, which will be great uh, for patients and for healthcare in general. Mm-hmm. Uh, but most importantly, which really excites us about our own programs, I think what's needed is a better experience. Uh, we, we talk about what's next. Uh, we really want to shape what's next. We know that this experience is going to be more uh, human-centric. It's going to be more adaptive, more connected. And we're doing everything we can by putting the best people, the best minds, uh, trying to, to really benefit from this intersection of science and technology uh, to shape and create what's next. Yeah, and I think you know one of the things too is um, you know making it accessible for patients, making it accessible for hospitals. Um, one of the things I've noticed is that there's a trend in hospitals to lease out the robots instead of an outright sale. Um, is there? Are you? Is J and J agnostic to either a um, outright sale or a leasing when Otavo does reach the market? I mean, at at this point, we're not discussing or revealing our Mm -hmm. commercial plans. I can tell you we have some incredible people uh, looking at all these options. Uh, But at this moment, we're not commenting on our commercial plans uh, in the U.S. or further. As we're we're closing out this conversation is, you know, I just want to make sure that we're not missing anything that uh, the listeners should be aware of, um, miss any of the excitement that's going on at J&J behind the scenes. Um, So did we did we miss anything in the process of this conversation? I mean, I just want to reiterate that the previous hundred years have brought incredible progress for patients Mm -hmm. across the world. And we need to recognize that, celebrate it. But I also believe we're at this very unique moment in this journey. And I think what's coming is uh, more exciting than we've seen in our in our time, in our lifetime. And I think that's excitement is because of these advances in science and having technology come in. I, I do think uh, I talk about this, what's next in surgery, this need to reimagine the experience. I just want your listeners to be certain that J&J is committed to do whatever it can to really help with that journey. Uh, it, it ties up to our credo. I think if we believe the advances are happening from the robotic angle, it's it's quite inspiring. But also when you think about what's happening in digital and the power of that to really Im- improve the patient experience, 
reduce variability, make a difference in patient outcomes. Uh, I, I tell everyone to stay tuned on this journey because I think our best days are ahead and it's going to be very, very exciting. Uh, and uh, I'm lucky and we're lucky to be to be part of this journey. Yeah, and it's um, it actually is interesting because you the, the commitment that J&J has remained on Otava because, I mean, it was few years ago that you know we started hearing the developments there was a little bit of a pause and you guys remain committed to getting this out to the market and just it's from what i've heard today you guys are still you know that that commitment that commitment and perseverance to being able to get that product to the market um is continuing to shine through i mean robotics is hard in general robotics and healthcare is hard but i can tell you when you when you talk about commitment for me, it talks about people and investment. Uh, and I can tell you, we have some of the best minds uh, working on this. Uh, we're putting the right investments to support this. And we're doing it because what's at stake is very, very important. Uh, I do know that this is needed from the market. This is what patients need. This is what surgeons are asking for. And they want JNJ to play a pivotal role here. And we've done it over the last 100 years, and uh, I have no doubt in my mind we will do it for the next 100 years. Well, I, I, unfortunately, I won't be there 100 years from now to see how that works, but I'll be there for the next 5, 10, 15 years to see how this uh, plays out. Ani, uh, thank you so much for joining us today. I appreciate you uh, taking time. Thank you, Matt, and uh, this was my honor and pleasure. Yeah, and I would like the, the listeners for uh, tuning in to this episode. Um, Feel free to come back and join us for future episodes of uh, Vanguards of Healthcare series and take care. Countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.